Hello, and welcome to Born to Dance, the podcast for Matthew Bourne's new adventures that explores and questions why dance moves, inspires, and excites us. My name is Paul Smethurst, resident artist for New Adventures and your host. Each week, I will be joined by members of our extended family to talk about their journey through dance and how it has impacted their lives. Part of my role as resident artist for New Adventures includes forging partnerships with other companies where together we can learn, grow and develop our engagement work and commitment to inspiring young people from all backgrounds and experiences. It feels like fate when back in 2019, while searching for arts organisations experienced in social inclusion, I stumbled across the incredible work of Dance United Yorkshire, a charity that is led by today's guest. Together, we went on to create Civil Blood, a response piece to Romeo and Juliet, which was the beginning of a beautiful relationship and friendship. I have fallen further and further in love and awe with the passion, wisdom and inspiration that today's guest exudes. She is one of life's true advocates for the transformative power of dance to affect and create social justice. She is an artistic director, choreographer, educator, fundraiser, leader and powerhouse who makes the seemingly impossible possible and never backs down when it comes to championing dance as the best tool to, quite simply, change and save people's lives. Helen Linsell, welcome to Born to Dance. Thank you. I feel a little bit overwhelmed and emotional after that introduction. Oh, well, it's all true. I really see you as this like sort of life force of advocating for dance and we both share this love for dance and I think um, the work you do is so important and that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast to really talk about it and celebrate it. No, it feels it feels amazing to be summed up like that, actually. And it's absolutely what I set out to do, I think, to just simply use dance to change people's lives um, and to reach people that wouldn't usually access particularly contemporary dance and performance. And I have given my soul to it over many years. So I think now I feel like people really do see that and recognise that. And that feels that feels really good because I do. And when, when you were just saying that, I, I do feel very emotional about the work that we do because I do believe that it has and it can and it will continue to change people's lives. So, um, yeah. I've witnessed what your work can do. And we're going to come on to that later. So... Apart from feeling a bit emotional, how are you today? Are you okay? I'm really well, thank you. Life is uh, a little bit busy at the minute, but it's really positive, actually. And we're doing so much work up in Yorkshire, predominantly Bradford. So much really, really brilliant, exciting work. Lots of partnerships, lots of projects coming. Lots of people wanting to work with us, coming to us and saying, we want to do work with you. We value what you do. We think it's brilliant. We think it's important. People that I, you know, I wrote essays about when I was at university, like there's, there's a lot of excitement. So it feels like I'm running a lot on adrenaline at the moment, but it's... It's good. I don't want to dwell too much on the pandemic, uh, but to quickly get your thoughts, do you think some of this renewed or perhaps completely new interest in the work that you do has been born out of the sort of social isolation that, we, that we've that we had and this 
need for connection and the power that dance has to to bring people together have you have you noticed a correlation between a sort of interest and what we've been going through recently Yes, I have. I think even in terms of like funding streams and little pots of money, uh, little networks that are appearing to really explore how we pull those people that have been isolated or have an increased level of mental health issues, how we pull those people back out into the community again. So I think our work is actually being recognised a little bit more of maybe this work can do that maybe this work can bring people back together because there is a sense of people struggling to re-engage with like groups maybe that they were in before or just going out generally and I think the work that we do is important to sort of rebuild that again and bring people back into theatres and bring people back together and bring people back dancing and communicating and having those kind of different relationships with different people within their community so I do feel like there's an increased support and I hope that continues because I think it's going to work in our favour but also just some of the work that we did during lockdown we were an organisation that didn't stop we were more about how do we keep our participants engaged when we can't bring them together and we can't bring them into theatres or even venues how did you we turned to film Mm -hmm. a lot and actually now we have made seven films within 18 months wow really kind of different collaborations different projects some kind of in-house some that have been commissioned some in partnership and there's a kind of domino effect of that so one of the films we made was with our women's company and that has now been to three film festivals even this weekend it was shown at the national media museum in bradford the women were performing alongside so that film has now got this kind of legacy and i think that's the beauty about film as well is that you, once you've done it and you've made it you, it you you can just keep showing it and using it and I think people are now seeing that and people will just contact me and say oh we saw this film could we show it at this festival and you're like yeah great there's kind of two things that are happening there's the kind of wider recognition of the work we do and how it can support people following the pandemic but there's also the work that we actually created that's come out of that time and you also went to people's houses, didn't you? You th- you got to that point where, because there's a lot, there was a lot of digital exclusion, wasn't there? That that happened in the pandemic, and a lot of the people that you work with might not have the means um, or the resources to be able to jump on a Zoom workshop. So, how did you get around that? How did you navigate that? Oh, absolutely, I, it was not our first choice to go to Zoom. It was absolutely not. We just knew it wasn't going to work for our client groups. Unfortunately, we were blessed with lots of nice weather. So we did uh, lots of kind of garden gate workshops. We did outdoor classes. We we did pop-up performances. I use quotation marks for that because you weren't really allowed to perform, but we just sort of appeared in places. So we, you know, the, the films that we made, a lot of them were, were choreographed and taught and performed outdoors. We went to people's gardens and we ran a Discover Arts Award. So we were setting like children and their families, arts, creative tasks, alongside delivering healthy food parcels and setting them like cooking tasks like can you make a healthy pizza and send us a picture and so our work kind of really just kind of spanned into all sorts of other directions but there was a lot of pastoral work that we did we we kind of created well-being packages for some of our young people our women you know with little candles and bath bombs and face masks and we just dropped them off to all our women and said we're still thinking about you don't worry we're still here even just sometimes phone conversations or just checking in with those that have gone a bit quiet one-to-one sessions that we that we would run we did a lot 
to try and keep all of our participants engaged during that time. Mm, thank you for sharing that with us. So let's dive into dance. And I'm going to start by asking you, when did you last dance? I can imagine knowing you, it was probably quite recently. Yeah, well, actually, um, during the pandemic, I started running quite a lot. And I didn't think when I was younger, I used to be a sprinter and it was over in like sort of 15, 20 seconds. And now I've started doing long, longer runs, 5Ks and 10Ks. But to warm up, I put my headphones on and put some music on and dance in my kitchen as my warm up. So that was probably probably last week I was prancing around I dance a lot with my little girl as well in the kitchen and the last time I danced sort of in public I went to see a a piece actually recently in Huddersfield by Gary Clark the choreographer and at the end it was an outdoor piece at the Lawrence Batley Theatre at the end everybody in the audience just got up and danced like with Gary and with the dancers and it was just a really lovely event that was probably the last time I was like with other people dancing in a kind of communal space how is it dancing with your daughter and does she follow in mum's footsteps is she a natural mover I think she is she's quite physical and she's got kind of just like me she's got little muscly legs uh-huh. and um likes to sort of climb and run she's quite like outdoory and adventurous I don't know but she might veer away from the gracefulness of ballet <laughs> and I like doing sort of contact work with her so you know throwing her around and like contact improv yeah um, and she loves it like kind of just different kinds of lifts and things so oh, um yeah so it's great gorgeous, really gorgeous. let's uh, go back to how you got into dance some of those early memories and you mentioned their ballet can you tell us the story what was your first experience of dance I know you said it wasn't maybe necessarily a great one no it really wasn't I think my mum did what a lot of mums do with their four-year-old daughters and take them to ballet lessons so that is my first memory and and it's vivid and that was 40 years ago and it's vivid and I hated it And I remember being in this hall and running to my mum who was at the side and just literally like crying, just thinking, I I just don't like this. I just don't want to be here. And I think she did the whole, oh, you'll be fine. And off I went sort of every Thursday until I was about eight or nine. So I did a few exams and I just dreaded it every Thursday. I would just dread it. And it just wasn't me. I just didn't feel right just being put into all these shapes and these positions. And as I mentioned, I think there's pictures of me when I was younger with these little musty legs, quite short, next to these really slim, skinny girls. And it just wasn't, it just didn't feel right. And I didn't enjoy it. And I think it was a lot about the teacher. I think people's experience of dance can often be about the teacher. And she scared me. And then I plucked up the courage when I was about eight or nine to say, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. <laughs> and that was it. I, I didn't dance again till I was 19. Yeah, it's so, I wanted to just delve into that because that's such a gap. You went to Lancaster University, didn't you, and studied theatre studies. So I guess kind of fell out of love with dance or or maybe never fell in love with it in the first place. And then how did you end up experiencing contemporary dance? And then I know you went to Laban. How did that part of the story emerge? Well, I was, I went from ballet into drama. So I was in a youth theatre, which was, you know, the best part of my adolescence, I think, being in a youth theatre. But they were plays, you know, you learn a script, you were a character. That that was my knowledge of theatre and, and drama. And took that further into A-levels, took it further into my degree. And it turned out that the degree at Lancaster was very experimental. It was a brilliant, brilliant course. And the first thing we did was a piece of physical theatre. 
And that was fairly new to me. I'd come across DVA in my A-levels, but actually doing it myself, I hadn't really experienced it. So the first thing we did as a, as a group, we did a piece of physical theatre. And I was, uh, I was rolling around in the mud and I was doing all sorts of crazy things. But I was like, this is great. The second and third year, I was still not doing a lot of dance, but I took the options like half a module in dance and then the third year I did body in performance and when it got to the end of my degree I'd really fallen in love with the physicality of that and my lecturer said to me you, you need to take this further you need to go on and train and I was like oh that's ridiculous you know how could I possibly do that and he was like you really should like you and he said you need to go to Laban and I was like, who, what, where? Didn't really know what that meant. Yeah, so got a lot of the prospectuses and had a little look. And I thought, I don't want to train to be a dancer. I love choreography, but I don't want to do that. And I think I scrabbled around for a bit thinking about what, why was I going to go and train? And at that time, I was very lucky that there weren't any university fees. But at that time, it was going to cost me £10,000 for a year at Laban. And I was mm. like, that's crazy money. To do a, to do a master's. Yeah, to yeah. do a postgraduate um, right. diploma. Mm. So it, it, it was a big decision, but there was a course that I found at Laban, which was the Postgraduate Diploma in Community Dance Studies. And I read it and I was like, that's what I want to do. Where did that come from? Like, I think it came from, I, I, it, I had a gap year between um, college and university and I went out to Kenya and I taught drama sessions and music to children in Kenya in a like mud hut village. And I just saw how they came alive through this extracurricular activity. And I, I think it was kind of the seed of, of what I do now, like the impact that the arts can have on people that are disadvantaged. Then I discovered this confidence. When I discovered contemporary dance at Lancaster, I found a confidence that I hadn't had before. I found something that was new to me that was like, I don't know, something quite magical, I suppose. So there was a combination of this confidence and this amazing feeling I had doing contemporary dance mixed in with, I really see the power and value of taking the arts to people who are disadvantaged. And somewhere in that, community dance became this, that, that's what I need to do. And off I went. <laughs> amazing. I know your CV and it's so astonishing really and jam-packed with wondrous projects and different experiences i wonder if you could take us on i know it's going to be very difficult but like a whistle-stop tour from laban to where you are now as artistic director of dance united yorkshire i know that a lot happened in that time <laughs> but maybe some like key moments or highlights on your on that journey that led you to what you're doing now so Laban was an absolute springboard. It's on your CV and then people kind of just see that and value it. So I springboarded out of Laban into a national dance agency at the time was Southeast Dance where I, because I lived in the Southeast and I worked as a youth dance practitioner. And then around that, I built freelance work. So I was working in primary schools. I was working in youth centres. I was working in leisure centres. I was saying yes to everything. And people would come to me and say, oh, there's this job here or there's this role here or this school are looking for a teacher or that youth company are looking for someone to cover maternity leave. Or, and so it was building those connections and building those networks. And that's something I still I still do now. A little bit of a pivotal role was when I worked as a dance development officer for Crawley Borough Council. We were based in a theatre and a lot of things came my way as a result of being based in that theatre. 
And it was an opportunity as well to develop my ideas and actually make them happen from nothing. Learn how to fundraise, learn how to apply for funding and make things happen. And so I was there for about three years, I think. Something that I think is still running. I might have to check it, but I think I set up a youth dance group for children with learning disabilities. And I did it with a mum. A mum came to me and she said, my daughter suffers with severe epilepsy and there is nothing in this town for her that's creative artistic so we set up this group and it's still running now and I think that would probably make it about 16 17 18 years old but I'm still in touch with that mum and actually working with learning disabilities and I ran that group for three three years on my own and we used to perform and just getting used to the space and what's going on in the space I mean there were lots of different needs in that room and I was pretty much on my own and I think that has contributed to the skills I now have working with challenging behaviour and then a job came up full-time at Laban as their education and community practitioner which basically was taking everything I was doing but just under the umbrella of Laban. But I was a little bit reluctant because I was loving the work I was doing. Yeah. Like, you know, all these things all over the southeast. And I was like, I got a bit persuaded, I think, because I knew that it would be good for me. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Laban and I did pretty much everything I'd been doing, disability work, youth work, boys work, primary work, secondary work, and some lovely work I did with the National Gallery and Trinity College of Music and worked with New Art Club and VTOL Dance. So my skills just developed and partnerships grew. And because of where Laban's based in Deptford, I, I ended up going into a lot of challenging environments. There were some really tough schools I went into, one in particular that I remember I was terrified. And these young people, their lives, were very much gun gun and knife crime, gang culture. And I would do contemporary dance with them on a Monday morning. <laughs> and I'd come out like, oh my God, I can't believe that it just happened. But also feeling this kind of sense of genuine satisfaction. Like, I think I've done something important today. And then I knew about the work of Dance United and there was a training course in Bradford. So I said to my boss, can I go on this course? It will really help my skills and my my expertise and really help me become more knowledgeable about how to work with these kinds of young people. And she said, yeah, yeah, we'll support you. Off you go to Bradford. Came back after that week and said, I've been offered a job. Oh, wow. So uh, she wasn't very happy about that. No. And imagine. I just had to take it. Why did you have to take it? What was it that just made you go, yeah, this is it? I just felt that the more work I'd done with those more challenging groups when I'd been really pushed and then I'd seen something amazing happening even just in an hour that with with young people that would normally be kicked out or would normally be the naughty kid or the bad kid or you know they can't do that they won't do that and I was doing something with them and I was seeing them being different people like with joy and happiness and laughter and 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 focus and even though it was challenging and a bit scary I love it and that's why I had to just jump at this chance to work for the organization the only organization that I knew at the time that was working in criminal justice and inclusion and they were running 12-week projects with young offenders and I just thought I've just got to do it and my boss at Laban said to me you're putting all your eggs in one basket but it's been a very good basket (laughs) for 15 years it's worked out for you all (laughs) right hasn't it yeah yeah yeah. and then okay so you're working with Dance United and now it's Dance United Yorkshire Mm -hmm. and you run it Mm. so what was that jump for you becoming the artistic director so it was 
it was a sort of gradual journey, really. I, I started as an artist and then I became academy director. So I was running the projects, uh, the 12 week projects. And I had, you know, lots of artists coming and going, lots of people that I'm still very close to now and took on just more responsibility, just gradually, gradually, gradually. There was a moment where the focus went back to London. Dance United was a London-based charity and the work was happening in Bradford. They did a lot of academic research looking at the proof and the evidence around young young offenders not re-offending after they'd done a course with us. So with that evidence, they went back to London and set up the London Academy. So the attention kind of went off Bradford a little bit. And in that time, we were kind of continuing to do what we were doing. But also there was this great big economic sort of crisis happening. Mm. And what we realised is that we needed to change things up a bit in order to be sustainable. What happened then is the chief executive of Dance United advised us and supported us to become a community interest company so we could have a little bit more autonomy. It just meant we were being more regionally responsive and looking at financial sustainability. Um, and so that's where Dance United Yorkshire came from. And I was the one sort of at the front of it going, we need to continue doing this work in Bradford. It must stay here. Even though I'm a Londoner, as yeah. you can clearly tell, <laughs> I was still like, no, no, Bradford, Yorkshire. And uh, then what happened was Dance United, for lots of different reasons, very, very sadly, went into liquidation. And so Dance United Yorkshire is now the legacy of the national charity. I wanted delve into social inclusion so I know that the kind of main part of the mission and vision for Dutch United Yorkshire is social inclusion what does that mean it's a word that gets bandied around what does that mean to you and how how can we use dance to bring it about or achieve it yeah so social inclusion is about it's about empowerment I think is at the heart of it it's about empowering those people that are living on the margins of society. So those people that are falling through the gaps, they're disengaged or they're excluded. And a lot of it is to do with socioeconomic circumstances. That's really at the heart of what we do. Most of the children, young people, adults, families that we work with are living in socially economically deprived areas. And so they don't have access, they don't have provision and they have a multitude of barriers so even if the Alhambra Theatre in Bradford said, we've got free tickets to come and see cats, people from Homewood still wouldn't go because they can't get there. They don't think that space is for them. They wouldn't even hear the Alhambra shouting because they're dealing with mental health, they're dealing with crime, substance misuse, how to pay their bills, how to feed their family. You know, So social inclusion is going to those people and creating that access and providing those opportunities, removing the barriers, accommodating everybody, no matter what their ability, background, race, culture, religion, sexual orientation, everybody is accommodated. And then in that time, empowering them to reach their full potential pushing them to see a different way of life to to behave differently to think differently to feel differently and it can be quite transformational the dance and social inclusion really helps people be included in society and valued and respected equally so incredibly important but why dance? I'd love you to just give us a little insight into what it is about dance that seems to bring some of this change about. I'm going to get a little bit philosophical now okay, because I think it is philosophy. Yeah. I think it is when you're dancing, you're in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
And that's how, there's a lot of talk about mindfulness and stuff these days. Lots of people are talking about mindfulness and meditation. And, and actually that's what it is. It's about being in the current present moment. And it's not thinking about like what happened yesterday or I'm worried about tomorrow. It brings you to, and dance can do that because when you're dancing, your mind and body connect. You can't be anywhere else. And particularly the way we work, where we're kind of trying to create 20 minute pieces of choreography and get them to perform it in four weeks or just we've got three sessions and we're just going to make this five minute piece that we're going to perform. Is is everybody all right with that? You know, so we really push and they cannot be anywhere else. They cannot be thinking about what's happening with their mum or what's happening with their dad or what's happening at home or school or they they're just in the space with you. And I think that's what dance is. I think it's about being lost, lost in dance and the mind and body coming together which I think is very therapeutic so I I often have to say to people we don't do dance therapy that's not what we do we're not clinically trained but what we do is therapeutic and in that moment you're you can't be anywhere else and I think that's at the heart of it but also what comes with that is when your performance is at the heart of what we do as well so we're always working towards performances so you're so you're what happens in performance is this sense of elation and achievement and being recognized and succeeding in something working together as a company that's really important for us like that you know touch physical touch being with other people dancing with other people I think there's a few different things but I think for me it's about the being in the current present moment Mm. how though do you get some other people to even step in that room and wants to be in the moment what you know want to connect with their bodies want to dance like dance I think has so many preconceptions about about what it is and the kind of person who does it and you are actively going we're going to go to these people and and try and use dance to to do something and I can I would imagine and maybe the people listening that there will be a bit of a kickback there like what what what, you know what what is this what are we going to be doing that they're probably imagining something very different from what you do so how do you kind of get those people in well, we do a lot of outreach and a lot of recruitment work. So a lot of that is about partnership development as well. So the projects that we run uh, are intensive projects. We create partnerships with education providers um, and other services in the past, such as like youth offending services, mental health services, social services. And we ask those those partners to refer young people to us so before that happens we've got to develop a partnership and convince that person head of school head of department whoever it is that this is worth doing so with with our work with young people we often talk about a qualification that they get with us so the bronze arts award that sometimes hooks in the teachers but ultimately we have to create that partnership go to them and say right we want you to refer your most vulnerable disengaged young people we meet them many times we go into their homes we meet their families we show them films so we never really expect a young person particularly a young person who's kind of vulnerable and disengaged to just come by themselves and rock up because we know they're not going to do that so we go to them and we inspire them in their schools in their homes in their communities and some of that work, sometimes it's time and time and time again. We ha- If we get referred a young person and a school says, says to us, oh, he'll never do it. Often schools will say that. He'll never do it, but you can just give it a go. Then it makes us even more determined. <laughs> we'll go and visit that kid 
three, four times. And we just create a relationship with them that's just about them. It's not about us going, mm, so we're looking at your social services or mental health or housing or this or that or the other. They have all these workers come in and go in. We're there to just go, we want to do this great thing with you. You're going to get a qualification. Have you got something better to do? And they're like, no. Well, just come then. But to get them into the actual building, we do a huge amount of outreach, huge amount of partnership, lots of home pastoral kind of partnership, um, relationship building. Mm. I'm going to jump now into our relationship, which is one of the reasons why, you know, we know each other and, and I wanted you to be here today. So we did a production of Romeo and Juliet and I wanted to create a response project to some of the themes of, of that work. And I was doing a bit of Googling for companies that work in social inclusion and you popped up top of the list. We had a meeting and it was, it, we just really clicked. And I think we needed to be aware of the reality that we we don't have all the answers as, as new adventures. You know, we, we don't specialize in this area. We wanted to work with more marginalized and vulnerable young people. And we needed to have some expertise to help us through that. So that's why we got in touch with you. And you came and did some training with, with our dance artists that would be leading the project. And we sort of jumped headfirst into this world that you're talking about. And for me personally, it's one of the favorite things that I've ever ever worked on it just fills my heart with so much joy and emotion when I think of that performance that we created together in the Riley Theatre in Leeds and I just honestly didn't think it was going to happen the dress rehearsal was an absolute disaster on toast and it just it just seemed like impossible and then everyone sat down didn't they in the auditorium and the lights came up and the music came on and the dancers that the young people were just incredible and yeah I couldn't keep it together and I think for me at the end just seeing their their family or carers responses to the fact that that they had achieved something and it, it really was a, a real highlight for, for me in my career. Can you talk to us from your perspective what that project was like working with New Adventures, what it's meant to your organisation and the legacy as well, because we've done a few things since together. Absolutely. I was actually at my mum's house in London when I got the email from you and she's like Matthew Bourne's biggest fan, I think, and we've seen lots of his work together. So I said, Mum, I've got this this email from New Adventures and I think they might want to work with us and I remember being like super excited thinking oh surely not surely not and then obviously had this conversation with you on the phone before we then met and and felt like oh hang on this is sounding like this could really happen and I remember I didn't tell any of my colleagues for weeks and weeks and weeks <laughs> because I was like oh it's never gonna happen and then more and more I, I brought my you know the general manager Duncan in and I was like I, I kept sort of hinting at this thing that might happen and he was like what are you talking about and then um, eventually I, I told him and we came to London and like you said it did feel like the partnership was a really kind of really promising kind of partnership in terms of really sharing and listening and understanding you were going to bring this incredible artistic vision and your choreographic performance experience and we were bringing to the table our experience of working with this client group and it felt like this is really exciting so I remember just feeling super excited and we did some planning and then I watched some rehearsals of Romeo and Juliet and everything was just like working in the right direction I was like this is going to be great and so when the project actually started and we were working together I mean for me it's like one of my favorite projects ever as well 
just the fun we had actually (laughs) working with yourself and Sam I think we'd laughed a lot because you have to like these kids can really really push you to the edge of sanity for very good reasons when you understand their backgrounds you go I get it they are hard work you know and every day there's about a thousand dramas that you have to deal with and all you're trying to do is get this piece together I just remember it was just so much fun. And we had projection, oh, we had costume changes. Yeah, costume changes, props, everything yeah. was on counts. Yeah. That's really influenced my way of working as well, actually. But it was just a brilliant, and I say to everybody, it was such a brilliant partnership, it was such a brilliant project. We had a great group of young people and... Um, it's meant a lot to our organisation and it's meant a lot to me, you know, on my dance journey to sort of say that I've worked with New Adventures when I've been watching the work of Matthew Bourne for forever. And then everything that's come as, you know, after that and to feel like you guys still want to come back and work with us and work with our young people. It's like we've worked with lots of different artists and choreographers over the years and they help us with our artistic mission, really, to create quality work. So it's not just about audiences coming and clapping politely and going, oh, that's sweet, Mm. bless them, didn't they do a good job? It's about audiences going, oh, my Lord, I cannot believe that piece of work. And those kids have never danced. Mm. Oh, and those kids have all have all been kicked out of school. Or and those kids are committing crime and suffering with mental health. Blah blah blah. It's it's got to be quality. Mm. And I remember that being a very early conversation that we had. Like Matthew Bourne's New Adventures is all about quality. I was like, yeah, yeah I know, I've seen yeah. it. <laughs> but that's <laughs> but, where we really aligned, I think, in yes. terms of our values, because you really strive for that quality. And I remember being really impressed with that because my biggest bugbear and the thing that I want to challenge through the work that we do is this perception of community dance being sort of easy and like you said it's just something that it's just bodies kind of like moving around in space and you know we're just clapping because there there are people in front of us rather than creating a piece that actually is really good yeah i just wanted to also just recognize that the the amazing way that your organization and yourself really held us and looked after us i think we just felt so supported so thank you because that is a, a, a huge feat I think with the certain demographic of young people that we were working with. Well it was a pleasure it was an absolute pleasure and I think uh, that's what is at the heart of our methodology is that we have to be led by the art form. I'm going to move on to talking about some of your favourite and impactful things in dance. And uh, we asked you beforehand to tell us a little bit about the most impactful piece of dance that you've seen. You kind of came up with two. So <laughs> what, tell us about it and why were they impactful? It's a really difficult thing to answer know, so when sorry. you've seen so many amazing things and you and it's really it's almost impossible to pull out one piece because I could I could sit here for hours and talk about all different kinds of pieces but I tried to sort of look at a couple but um I think the you know I mentioned earlier that my sort of route into dance was physical theater and so DVA features in my uh, my A levels and my degree and so I I remember watching and writing essays about early DVA Strange Fish, Enter Achilles, Dead Dreams and Monochrome Men. So seeing DV8 live at the Royal Festival Hall, probably late 90s, I think it was, 
was just a moment for me because I'd because that was the company that I think had inspired me so much of like it just introducing me to physical theatre I didn't know that it was a thing and the piece I saw the first piece I saw it's not one of their most sort of famous ones that keeps getting talked about but it was called the happiest day of my life and just the visual effects there was like a swimming pool on the stage there were like projections through waterfalls of water and on top of that there was kind of messages about relationships there was humor there was there was a darker kind of element to it as there often is with deviates work the physicality the precision of the movement was just mind-blowing and I think just that event and I was on my own and I remember going home to my mom going and this and this and mm. this and this so I think just just seeing that company live and I have since seen a couple of their other com- um, pieces and I think it's DVA are often trying to say something quite political or social and there's normally a st- quite a few statements in there and, and you're challenged as an audience member it's not really always obvious it's not like a story from beginning to end um, but I just think the company is just amazing so to see their work live um, definitely was a moment for me is there something about the this kind of commentary on humanity and definitely that, yeah. that draws you in yeah knowing about obviously the work that, that you do like absolutely maybe. i mean i think i was actually listening to a podcast of lloyd newson who's the artistic director a few months ago i think he did a, a training or degree in like social psychology that kind of world and i was like ah oh, that makes total sense he's always exploring like humanity and really trying to say something about the world we live in so audiences have been challenged over the years but yeah there's there's text his his exploration of language stories people so i, I can really see why you would choose that i think as, as as a parallel to the work that you do now the other thing that dance does so beautifully is helps us to understand the world that we live in it's, yeah it's absolutely i mean i do, i very rarely go and just watch a piece that's just pure dance it doesn't interest me in the same way as as work that's trying to challenge us or educate us or explore some of those more tricky themes and issues in life which I think deviate does and has always done but the other piece one of the other pieces there are many that sticks in my head was a is a piece called Ekad Mi Yodea which is choreographed by Ohad Naharin who was the artistic director of Batsheva Dance Company an Israeli company and uh, I went to see them at the Bradford Alhambra and didn't really know much about Bathsheba at the time. And this piece was performed. And it's this section is literally about seven minutes, eight minutes. And it's a semicircle of chairs. And um, it is so incredibly powerful. And it's quite simple. Like choreographically, there's nothing that's really like, oh my gosh, that's really complex. It's a semicircle of chairs. It's unison. It's canon. And it repeats and it accumulates and it's based on a, a Jewish song that they sing at Passover. You, if you read into it, there's lots of meaning. You can interpret it in lots of different ways, but it's just basically this repetition of this movement phrase that then builds and builds and builds and builds with this chanting in Hebrew. And it is just brilliant and it just hits you and the physicality of these dancers, the precision of the unison, this chanting, which is quite... Has a big impact. Do they chant as they dance? Yes, they chant Mm. live. I just think that's just brilliant. And in terms of an impactful theatre visit, it was as I walked in, I was shouted at because I was told I had blood on my tickets because they're because the uh, Batsheva Dance Company is funded by the Israeli government. 
So there's this kind of controversy in terms of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And in the middle of the show, from the dress circle, they threw down all these flyers and started shouting all this stuff about Palestine and just basically anti Batsheva because they're funded through the Israeli government. And that was a really kind of shocking experience in the theatre. And again, just makes you realise how political theatre is and can be and has been and continues to be. That I was like, I'm watching these poor young dancers just doing their best and there's all this chaos going on, these people having to be removed. And yeah, I'm quite interested in, and in the whole Gaga movement as well that I had developed as a movement style. So yeah, I would say that that was quite a big impact. Slight sidestep from all of that political unrest to your favourite piece of music to dance to. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a little bit of a swerve now. Uh, You basically gave us a whole genre or era. I did. Which was 80s cheese. Yes, I I love 80s cheese. I was really resonating with that. And you (laughs) told us a little story about going to the Rewind Festival every year and dressing up as Madonna. Yeah. Yeah, I make a good Madonna because I've got a gap in my teeth, you see. And I just put the beauty spot on, scrunch my hair up. I've actually spent a little bit of money over the years getting the correct cross earring and the boy toy belt to take it quite seriously, my outfit. Okay, so when when you stop being artistic director of Dance Night of Yorkshire, we'll see you as a tribute act, will we? Yeah. But you ended up choosing this song. Yeah. And it was Jocelyn Brown's Somebody Else's Guy. And we're going to play a little clip of that now. Oh, yes. I wish that we had a camera, but it's a podcast. But we're all having a boogie, even Hattie, our producer, in the studio. Uh, When that bass comes in, I mean, she goes from, like, kind of bleeding through her vocals, all of that emotion, and then... And then, and then it's just pure groove. I don't know what it is. I just, anywhere that I will be, you know, those those situations when you're in a bar or a club or a wedding or a party, and not many people. If that song comes on, I don't even care who is there, what's happening. I will just be moving. I don't know what it is. It's just the beat. It's just I love it, and it just it's got memories of like you know when I was younger, you know, teenager and older teenager, should I say, you know, um, out dancing. Uh, reminds me of my best friend so yeah just good memories and just gets me moving so Helen we're going to go into our quick fire round okay so I'm going to ask you some questions and we're, we're kind of going speedy answers no pressure and we are going to start with word association okay so I'm going to say the name of a Matthew Bourne show Oh, gosh. I know. 
and I'd like you to say the first word that comes into your head when I say this name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep it clean. <laughs> Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Swan Lake. Feathers. Carman. Raunchy. Edward Scissorhands. Sam Archer. Cinderella. Yeah, the war. <laughs> Nutcracker. Sweeties. Romeo and Juliet. Civil Blood. Nice. If you could turn any story, film or book into a Matthew Bourne production, what would you pick? Alice in Wonderland, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways you could twist Alice in Wonderland, I think, because it is a little bit obscure anyway, mm. and it's quite fantasy. Mm. So you could tell it from a different perspective. Yeah. And, and and what's interesting about Matt's work is that he always, there's always some kind of like ensemble dance kind of moments. So you've got the swans in Edward Scissorhands. There was the topiary bushes dancing. Yeah. What would, what would that be in Alice in Wonderland? It was one of my favourite Disney films, actually, Alice in Wonderland. And I've make, made my little girl like it as well. But I love the bit where the, the cards are painting the roses red. You could have a great big ensemble Ooh, section yeah. with the playing cards. Definitely. Do you know what else I'd like to see, <laughs> slightly more obscure, <laughs> is the croquet with the yes. flamingos and the hedgehogs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's would so want to be a hedgehog. Much, it's very visual, mm. Alice in Wonderland. I think it was one of my favourites. I'm sure Matthew could find a really interesting twist. Mm. There's a darkness to it, which I think there's often a darkness to Matthew Bourne's work. Yeah. So I think he should do it. I think that should be the next one. Okay, I'll pass it on. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be listening. <laughs> What is one piece of advice that you would give to the next generation wanting to get into the arts industry? I think I might have touched on it, but it's about getting out there and getting to know people and creating meaningful relationships. So there's people that I've worked with over the years that I now feel like are friends because if you invest in those relationships professionally, then it spills out into personal relationships where you feel like you've worked together and like you mentioned, building that trust. So getting out there and take, taking opportunities because I think they, young people coming out of training and coming out of, you know, even universities, it's, it's a much more difficult climate now. Like, you know, when I came out of university, I hadn't even had fees. So you're going to really have to get out there really get to know people go to everything say yes to everything be involved in everything be at everything be seen go to your local see people know people if there's workshops if there's professional development go to it because sometimes now having a degree on your cv just isn't enough Mm. like people will look for what else have they done go and volunteer with your favorite company if you love such and such a company contact them and say i want to come and volunteer i want to help out I think that's it. I think it's about being proactive and actually initiating that contact. I think you can feel a little bit scared. You don't want to overstep. But actually, most of the people in the arts are really open and really generous and really interested in people that show interest. Yeah. So I think that's a great tip. And I think, you know, I always find like on projects particularly, there's always things like, could you just run to Primark and get another pair of leggings? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you've got some really keen graduate who's like been in the studio, supported the young people, made you tea in the morning and runs out to Primark to get a spare pair of leggings, leggings and that person then applies for a job with you chances are you've got they've, they've set that foundation for you if you just turn up and go oh, I've got this degree and hit, give me a job it's like well so have lots of other people so mm. definitely take initiative be proactive get out there and just go for it great advice 
if you could pass on the love of dance to somebody or a group who may not have the chance to experience it, who would it be and why? And maybe because you've done a lot of this already, maybe you can give us an example of someone that you have given that gift to and how it's impacted them. I think I could go in lots of different directions with this one. I do think that some, I I have done a couple of projects out in Africa with disadvantaged communities. And I think I would probably, I would just love to go around the world into all of these, you know, disadvantaged communities and do projects with, with people that really are living in the worst circumstances that, you know dance projects or arts projects haven't reached yet because I think I you know I think that I've I've got a lot of joy from from doing work in in Africa and I've done a project in Jamaica with like street kids in the ghettos of Kingston and again it's similar you just see so much so much impact in just a short amount of time and these kids really do and it's it's all very humbling that kind of work and you come home and you you see how much we have in the western world and how much just gets thrown away even when it comes to food you know and how much we have at the ed, ed, you know ed, edges of our fingertips we can just go to this shop or press buttons and then these kids in these communities don't have that you know and they're so happy to have whatever food it is put in front of them and I think those kinds of communities are really appreciative when you go in and give them something like a dance project and that's where Dance United started actually in fact that's quite weird that I've said that because Dance United started in Ethiopia uh, working with street children so I think that's at the heart of me is to is is to provide for those communities that really really genuinely are on the streets in poverty and have literally have nothing and to take the joy of dance. And I, and I know that dance can't provide them with a home or food, but in that for that moment in time, they can be somewhere else and they can be someone else. And that's I think that's what I'd do if I could. That is a beautiful way to wrap up our conversation, Helen. Thank you so much. Please keep doing what you're doing. It's so vital. It's so important. We need it. And we're so grateful for everything you do. Thank you for joining me today on Born to Dance. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. If you enjoyed this episode, then please go check out our other episodes, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and YouTube. If you want to know more about new adventures, then check out the links in our show notes. I have been your host, Paul Smethurst. This series has been produced by Hattie Moyer, and our researcher is Stephen Daly. The theme music is by Terry Davies, from the production Play Without Words. For more information about the additional music in this episode, please check the show notes. This has been Born to Dance, brought to you by New Adventures. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now.